0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Simplifying the Sod. This recording was uh, prepared as part of a class on Rosh Chodesh, Sivan, 5781. We have a two-part class this week. It was based on two questions that we received. What I found remarkable is that I got these two questions, and both of the answers were found in hints in the opening verses of this week's Parashan, the first two uh, pisukim. Um, the, uh, the first question was why it would be necessary to uh, count when Hashem knows how many people we are, obviously, and especially because we recently counted. So what's the purpose in counting again at this point? Uh, the second question relates to the requirement always to read the portion of the Midbar prior to the holiday of Shavuot. And the, the way the rabbis express it is they explain that the reason we have to read this uh, the reason we have to read this parasha in between is because last week we read the curses and what we're trying to do is we're trying to break the curses with this parahadba so the question is why did Ezra sofer when he set the portions up why specifically did he set them up in this fashion? we often see that we uh, we can look at things as ben adam chavero between man and man. And we can see things as ben adam lemakom, between man and Hashem. So the way we're going to look at the class is the first part is going to be a little, I guess, simpler. The second part is a little more detailed. The first part is going to be ben adam chavero between man and man. The second part is going to be between ben adam lemakom. We're going to look at the first question as a lesson as to man's behavior. The second is the, the way that man behaves to Hashem, specifically when it comes to learning Torah, which I think relates also to uh, to the holiday of Shavuot that we are going to celebrate on the question of why we count. First question. Rashi asks and answers. We we read the beginning of the parasha and it says, <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem speaks to Moshe, in, uh, in Har Sinai, in the Ohel Moed, ha- Rashi, and he tells him that this is going to be in the, in the uh, first day of the second month after they leave Egypt. So the, fir- the, the second year, the second month, right? The first year, I guess it's the first year after, the second month, the first day. So Rashi asks, why do we count? Because B'nai Israel adhere to him, he counts them every now and then when they left Egypt he counted them when they fell as a consequence of worshipping the golden calf he, uh, he counted them and also uh, he said also Rashi brings he counts to see how many of them passed away uh, and he wants to count them when he's going to make his Shechina dwell among them so we, we see that a month after the establishment of the Mishkan Hashem again is asking Moshe to count them as always, Rashi is brief, he's to the point, but the question that was asked of me remains. Obviously, Hashem knows how many people. You just counted them. Do you really need to count them again? Chizkuni so notes that seeing that within 20 days, B'nai Israel would break camp and start marching towards Eretz Israel. So he says that the reason we're counting at this point is because we're ready to go into Eretz Israel, where We're a few weeks away, three weeks away from going into Eretz Yisrael. So from there it looks, why would you count the people? Because you want to make sure what the army is going to be like. But then when we look at Sephorno, Sephorno says that Hashem is counting them to organize them, or Moshe is counting them to organize them, so that they could proceed into the land of Eretz Yisrael immediately, as we just said, without delay. Each one of them has to know to which unit, which flag he belongs. So from here, it seems, again, that they're going to be preparing for some armed conflict. The problem, though, is that Sephorno goes on and he says at that point, no war of conquest had ever been envisioned. He says the assumption was that God would remove the inhabitants of the land of Canaan so that no face to face encounter would even be necessary. So if we're going according to this, that if everything went according to plan, then in three weeks B'nai Israel would be able to march into Eretz Yisrael and they would conquer the land without having to lift a finger. All of the enemy would just disappear from in front of them. So which brings us back to the original question, why count? The better question really is, what does it mean when we hear the Hebrew word to count? Does it mean only to count? What's interesting in the, in, is the root of the word to count, lispor. Lispor is, we, we have from sefirah, sefirah ta'omer. This word lispor also means to tell a story, lisaper sipur, to tell a story. And it also means to illuminate, as we have from the Hebrew word sappir, sapphire. We see the same root of the Hebrew word in the word sapphire, which also happens to be the stone of the tablets in which were inscribed the Aseret HaDibrot, which we loosely translate as the Ten Commandments. It's also said that sapphire was the material of the staff of Moshe Rabenu. So this root, lispor is also to count, is also to illuminate, also to tell a story. The Hebrew language being the language of Shamayim is always a marvel. Each of the letters... Has a has a meaning within the word, and there's always a cross meaning in words which yields a much deeper understanding, and it often takes us to places we would never imagine. If we look at this word le saper, le sport, we we could see if we want to tell a story properly, it's necessary to illuminate the story. What a lesson this is when we think this is really simply a command to count. One might think that counting is simply providing a number. But if count means to illuminate, then when counting, we illuminate something. In the United States, we count, or at least we try to count, the population every 10 years by taking a census. We hire special census takers, we send them out to each area to let us know who's living where, how many people in each place, how many people in each town. One might think, In the same vein, if the goal of the commandment of Hashem to count is simply to get a number, to take a census per tribe, to get an idea of available soldiers and support, then Moshe would be appointing census officials and they would take the count. But in this case, the problem is that the job of taking the census is given to Moshe and Aharon. They're commanded not just to count, but the word is se'u et Rosh. Raise up the head. Could we imagine a president of a country, a governor of a state, a mayor of a city going out to count the people? But Moshe and Aaron they go tr- tent by tent, tribe by tribe, family by family. And more important than the count seems to be the command. Se'u, lift up, lift the people's spirits, encourage the people, spiritually raise them up. Imagine what one feels like when Moshe Rabbeinu comes knocking at your tent, when Moshe explains that each of us has a purpose, and without us contributing to the better good, the job of all B'nai Israel is incomplete. The word L'Saper with the root Samach Pei Resh is also of the word we use to designate this time period, which extends from Passover through Shavuot, from the Exodus to the giving of the Torah. We call this period Sefirat HaOmer, counting the Omer. We count 45 days, 49 days before arriving at the 50th day, which we discussed a little bit last week. One might ask, why is it necessary to count each of these days why not simply mark the calendar and perhaps the idea which we discussed last week of counting when it extends not just to the days of the uh, to the days but also to the years in counting towards the shemitah or the sabbatical and eventually counting towards the yovel is the same by understanding that this root is not simply to apply a number But to illuminate and to lift up, we see a purpose and a goal in each day and in each year. Our rabbis explain that this growth and illumination, they explain it as follows. On the night of Pesach, when we celebrate the Seder, or the initial night of Pesach, when we left Egypt, we could recall that the light was not extinguished. It was a night of complete light for Bnei Israel we still have that same energy because as we go through history it's not really linear it's sort of like circular where we come back to that specific place where we were on Pesach and in that moment we can also receive a night that's all light we could receive in a single blast the full spectrum of heavenly Shefa of glory from Shamayim, of what we're calling the spiritual light the problem is When a light comes very, very quickly, it's very difficult to retain for a number of reasons. One being, simply we say, easy come, easy go. But probably more important is that one needs to have a vessel capable of holding and retaining that light. One of the reasons many of us begin counting Sefirat HaOmed only After the second Seder Is to allow ourselves the opportunity In that second Seder To potentially Get that blast And take in that light I believe this is why Because of the potential of Pesach This is why we say That the Mashiach comes On the night of Pesach Because this night is the highest potential When the energy When the light can completely blast in And come in and illuminate everything. Once the Seder, the potential passes, and we in some way realize that we cannot retain it and fully utilize that light, it's only then that we get up and we say, okay, now let's begin counting the Omer. Let's go one, two, three, step by step, day by day, and let's attempt to gather this light in a step-by-step, a little-by-little fashion. Rabbi Abitan would always tell us that growth comes only through small steps. And it could be that that growth that comes through small steps, that growth stays with us forever. It's an amazing musar, it's an amazing message to us. Like everyone, we're always trying to form new and better habits, or we're trying to eliminate old habits. We have to realize that to do it, Often cold turkey doesn't work, or jumping into something doesn't work so easily. What we have to do is we have to do it step by step, and this is the idea of the forty-nine of the forty-nine days is going step by step in order to take in this light. In understanding the Exodus, Yetziyat Mitzrayim, and the generation, the door, the door Hamidbar, the generation of those who left Egypt, we comprehend that it was impossible. To go from a slave of Egypt, a person who had absolutely no free will, whose time was not of his own, and in a moment or in a night, that person is going to a completely free person. In some ways, a servant, instead of a servant of Egypt, a servant of Hashem. But the difference, the main difference he goes from a person who has no free will, no control over his time, to a person who has complete free will to decide. And complete free will and free will over the time. It's also one of the reasons that the first mitzvot that Bnei Israel, the first mitzvah Bnei Israel are given is the sanctification of the moon. Because with the sanctification of the moon comes the idea that B'nai Israel are actually not only in control of their own time, they're in control of the time of the universe. So now this amazing light of the night of Yetziat Mitzrayim it helps them leave. But once they're in the desert, the process has to extend to 49 days till we get to the revelation at Har Sinai. Only then were we in a place when we could receive the commandments and thus be elevated to what the rabbis explained to us is a state of perfection as Adam Harishon, Adam, before the sin. But it quickly becomes obvious to us that even extending this process for 49 days, so we see... Overnight, too much light, too quick, doesn't work. So now we're going to go through the process, 49 days, march from Egypt till we get to Mount Sinai, 49 days, we're going to receive the Torah, we gain it little by little, and we actually achieve an unbelievable level at this 49 days. But even that might not be enough, because even with that, we see that only 40 days later, when Moshe Rabbeinu returns from Har Sinai, carrying those same luchot of sapphire, he finds us worshipping the golden calf. We have this quick loss of light, and we're no longer, obviously, Adam Arishon before the sin. Now we know that the potential for the door Hamidbar, the generation of the desert, must have been absolutely incredible. As we understand it, the soul of Adam, Adam himself, was incapable Of completing the job. So Hashem said a single soul can't complete the job. So that single soul is divided into 600,000 parts. Each of us has a role in order to fix the job. The way to understand it is each of us has our own perspective. Each of us has our own task. You have a baker and a butcher and you have a candlestick maker and you have a seamstress, and you have all these people that are necessary in order to complete the job. So 600,000 souls each have a spiritual job to complete. And the only way for the group to be complete and to be to be brought up is for the whole group to, in, to, to put together their effort to repair Adam. So it appears that the intent after the sin of the Chet HaEgel, of the golden calf, is to truly make an attempt to raise up each of these souls in a manner in which they could achieve that which was necessary. Apparently Hashem accepts the Teshuvah of the Golden calf, and the potential with the opening of the Mishkan of the Tabernacle was for the generation to truly complete the process in that short time. The Mishkan is opened, remember Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the second year. The Shekhinah is resting upon the oil moed. There's a tremendous connection. We see at the end of the book of of Shemot, of Exodus, we see at the end all B'nai Israel see the, 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 the Shekhinah resting. They see the Shekhinah very similar to what happens on Har Sinai. So they're again back to this very high level. We repented, we were forgiven on Yom Kippur, the Mishkan is established, but then what happens? We see 30 days later, Moshe is counting us. Why? He's hoping to hold us up. He's hoping to hold us up. But what happens? What happens? We then see that perhaps in order to make a complete and true change, that 49 days may have not been enough. Even the 40 days of repentance that we see a few times until we come to Yom Kippur may not have been enough. The month of Nisan is the second, in the second year to the month of Tammuz and Av, is only a few months later. And what happens between Nisan? So we see, Nisan is when we establish the Mishkan. The first of Iyar was Moshe is going to come and count us. And only a couple of months later, we should have been in Eretz Yisrael. And what happened? We send in the spies. Had we not failed with the spies, we could have. Potentially marched into Eretz Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu would have been at the head. He would have led us, and we would have experienced the true and complete messianic experience. So, what's happening? After the Mishkan is established, we see that, hey, we need to build up the strength. Hashem is with us. Hashem says, I need to build them up. The potential is for them to to fall. So, what does he do? He says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Se'u, Etrosh, Lift up the heads of each of Bnei Israel. The intent of Hashem, the intent of Moshe in this is after opening the tabernacle a month later to raise up the heads of every single person so that they're stronger. So that when we come forward a month later, there's no falling and no failure. The rabbis explain that the Mashiach can only come when all the souls of this world are complete. So we see that the job that the that they had then, so what happens? They go a couple of months later, we have the sin of the chitta of the of the cheta Meraglim, the sin of the spies, and now Hashem is saying to them, Up! Oh, in order for you to go forward, it's not anymore one day, it's not anymore forty nine days, it's not repentance forty days, it's gonna take you forty years. Forty years. And even then the job is somewhat incomplete. So the Rabbis explained that the Mashiach can only come when all the souls of this world are complete. We see that the job was left incomplete by those 600,000 souls of the Dor HaMidbar, of the generation of the desert. As history progressed, we see that those 600,000 souls were broken down even further so that each soul would have an even smaller task. So if there were 600,000 and 600,000 becomes six million, then six million each have one tenth of the job of one of those six of one of those six hundred thousand. Those souls are us today, as we live in the generation of the footsteps of the Mashiach. And just as Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to raise up each of the souls, if the message of this parasha in Se'u et Rosh in raise up the head. Is, 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 is forever Then that message is not just to Moshe But it's to each and every one of us That we have a responsibility To help raise up the head Of everyone in our generation The Rabbis tell us That this generation The generation of the, of the Mashiach The generation of the footsteps of the Mashiach Is in many ways a Gilgul A reincarnation of those Who left Egypt in the Exodus and what do we have to do? We have to repair where they failed. Each of us has a responsibility and a duty to to raise up the souls of those around us. Hashem promised Abraham Avinu. He said to him, your children are going to be like the stars of the heaven, like the sands of the earth, impossible to count. But perhaps what Hashem is saying when it's impossible to count is Hashem giving Abraham a subtle message that we, we need not saper to count, not sport to count numerically, but we need to use sport to illuminate, to raise up. Every link of the chain is crucial. If any of the links are broken, the whole chain becomes useless. So part of lifting us up is to reassure everyone of their importance and of their part within the group. Perhaps this entails a level of encouragement, assuring all people of their standing, and reminding everyone that we're dependent on each other, and that we all share accountability. It's an accountability towards each other, as we say, Kol Yisrael arevim All of Israel are dependent one on another. Only then can we add our accountability to Hashem to complete the job we're given to do. So the first job it seems to be from this perashah. What's the reason to count? The reason to count is se'u et rosh. Raise up the head, lift the head, make sure everyone knows all Yisrael Aravim, We're all important. We're all connected. We're all dependent on each other. Now confirming much of what we said, I saw today in Rabbinu Bachya. He writes that when counting the Jewish people, the Torah describes it with the word se'u lift up, instead of the word Pakdu count. And he indicates that being counted by Hashem here is a spiritual ascent. But he goes one step further. And I think we could see this as a real warning. Rabbeinu Bachya writes, the word Seu combines within it two meanings. One, the direct opposite of the other it may mean that one's head is being elevated in the sense that someone is being promoted. On the other hand, the same word is also employed in depicting that someone, chas Shalom is being beheaded. This was the case of the baker with Paro, with his court, and Joseph interpreting his dream from Bereshit. We see this in a number of places. And Rabenu Bachia writes that the Torah deliberately uses a word which may have either of these two meanings in order to warn people that if they deserve in the census, it'll be beneficial for them. And if not, it could have fatal consequences. So we see there's this whole idea of raising up someone. This, I think, is a huge Ben Adam Lechaverot. This is what we're responsible to do. But we have to be very, very careful that there's a two-edged sword here. We could raise, but also we have the power to cut off. And this takes us to part two. So attempting to answer the question why we always read the portion of B'midbad prior to the holiday of Shavuot, the answer seems to be to break up the curses from last week's portion of Bechukotai. It says specifically in Shulchan Aruch, We always read Parshat Bamidbar Prior to Atzeret Atzeret being Shavuot And the source of this practice Is found in the Gemara In the Gemara, Chazal teach us That Ezra Sofer instituted That Bnei Israel read The Tochacha The rebuke In Parshat Bechukotai That was the curses we read last week Prior to Shavuot and the tohacha, the rebuke in Parshat Kitavo prior to Rosh Hashanah. And the rationale is very simply. The Gemara tells us, in order to end the year and its curses. The problem is that this makes perfect sense with regard to Rosh Hashanah. We want to end the year before Rosh Hashanah, before the new year, end the year and its curses, and begin the year with its blessing. But how is Shavuot the beginning of the year? And the Gemara says, yes, Shavuot is the beginning of the year. A Tered, this holiday that we have of Shavuot, is also a type of new year. It's a new year with respect to the fruits of the tree. Fruits of the tree? What does that affect me? But let's see. In Tosfot we see that he explains that we have to have a break between the curses, we end the curses, we begin the blessings, but we have a break. And he says we have a break always that we have parashat b'amidbar that intervenes between Shavuot and we always have mitzavim that intervenes prior to Rosh Hashanah. He says that we want to interrupt by reading a parasha that does not discuss curses on the Shabbat prior to Rosh Hashanah so as not to associate the curses with the new year. For the same reason, he says, we read Pashat Bamidbar prior to Shavuot, so as not to associate the curses that we read last week with the holiday that we begin Sunday night. Rav Pinchas Friedman explains that we have a basic principle, that nothing is coincidental. We discussed many times, Hashem is hiding in the coincidence. Every single detail instituted by our blessed sages... It possesses a deeper significance, so we have to try to understand further what is this whole idea of sticking parshat ba in between bechukotai and shavuot. There's a midrash in Yalkut Shimoni that says the nations of the world were envious of B'nai Israel. Why did B'nai Israel receive the Torah? Why are they more deserving than any of the other nations? Hashem silenced the nations of the world. And he says to them, bring me your genealogical records, your Sifrei Yichus. The Yichus, where do you come from? He says, look at my children Bnei Israel." He counted Bnei Israel at the beginning of Sefei Bamedbad after recording the mitzvot, because they only merited taking the Torah because of what? The genealogy. Where we come from. But the rabbis struggle with this. They say, what's the connection between the Sefer Yuchsin, this genealogical record, and the giving of the Torah to B'nai Israel?" In addition, we see in Perkei Avot that the Torah doesn't come through Yerusha. It doesn't come through just inheritance. You have to earn it. So therefore, where do we get this connection from? So we see a Midrash based on the first Pasuk of this week's Perashah. Hashem spoke to Moshe, Hashem el Moshe be midbar Sinai. And the Midrash asks, why does it specifically say midbar Sinai? And our rabbis learned from here that the Torah was given with three things with fire, with water, and in the midbar. From where do we know that it was given with fire? We see the Pasuk says that the, 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 the mountain was smoking entirely. And from water, we see even the heavens trickled, even the clouds dripped water. And how do we know it was given in the Midbar from this Pasuk? By Daber Hashem, Bemidbar Sinai. Without a doubt, each of these elements is very significant, especially as they relate to the revelation at Har Sinai. So let's consider why Hashem chose to give Bnei Isneel the Torah, specifically under these three circumstances, fire, water, desert. What's the deeper meaning? Rabbi Yehud Meir Shapira, he gives us a beautiful explanation. He says that where do we know that the words of Torah are not retained except by someone who kills himself on behalf of the Torah? We have a Pasuk and it says, This is the Torah of a man who dies in a tent. The rabbis there explain that a person to earn Torah has to have something we call mesirut nefesh, self sacrifice. And this mesirut nefesh is ingrained in us from the time we received the Torah at Har Sinai. He says that when the forces of the wicked nations, the reshaim, he says when they want Bnei Israel to renounce our faith in Hashem and in His Torah, Bnei Israel were brought to be burned at the stake. We were brought to be executed. And we refuse to betray the Torah and our faith in Hashem at any cost. So he says, let's understand where does this trait of Mesirut Nefesh come from? He says that we should understand that these things, fire, water, and Midbar, begin in the history of our people. Fire relates to Abraham Avinu. He's the father of the Jewish people. He shattered all of the idols in his father's uh, his father's workshop. He spread the name of Hashem throughout the world. He presented himself as a danger to Nimrod. What did Nimrod do? He threw him in the furnace of Ur-Kasti. Abraham thought he would die from the fire, but he was willing to go into the fire and Hashem made a miracle and he lived. We also see when he came to fulfill the command of Hashem in bringing Yitzchak to the Akedah, it says that he went, he took the fire... And the knife to sacrifice his son. <clears throat> so this idea of metziru nefesh from fire is instilled in us through Abraham. The second is water. We all know the story of coming to the sea in the seventh day. The seventh day we come to the, to the sea. And what happens is Hashem tells Moshe, go into the sea. Why are you screaming at me? Just go forward. But the problem is the sea doesn't split. And we see the tribe of Yehuda jumps into the sea. Nachshon ben Adav first. And we see from the Pasuk, it says, They went into the sea, and only then did it turn into dry water. They jumped in, and then the sea changed. And this was the Mesirut Nefesh, the willing to die, to jump into the sea, to trust in Hashem by water. Finally, we have Midbar. We have Midbar Desert. And Hashem says, look how beautiful my people. They leave Egypt with nothing, just the dough on their back. They're willing to follow me into the desert. And again and again, Hashem remembers in the prophets that He loves B'nai Israel because we were willing to follow Hashem into the Midbar. We were willing to follow Hashem into a place with no food, no water, no shelter just because we were with Hashem. So these three instances of Mesirut Nefesh in Jewish history, fire, water, midbar, pave the way for the covenant that Hashem eventually forges with Bnei Israel at Har Sinai. We have these three, fire, water, and midbar. They become a three-stranded cord of Mesirut Nefesh. And this is the foundation of our bond between Akadosh Baruch Hu and Bnei Israel, we now have this better understanding. Especially, we see Kohelet says that a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. So we understand better the midrash that says the nations of the world were envious of Bnei Israel. We received the Torah; they protest, "Why give it to them? Why are they deserving?" Hashem says, "Look at the genealogical record." The Torah also ex- explicitly states, Zot ki adam yamut be'o'ya. This is the Torah concerning a man should he die in the tent. The rabbis learned from this that the words of Torah are not retained except by one who pushes himself to sacrifice himself on behalf of the Torah. Therefore, B'nai Israel have a legacy. They have the sefer of Yihus, the sefer of their ancestors. Who sacrificed their lives for Kiddushat Hashem in three stages. Fire, water and Midbar. Only then are we worthy to be given the Torah. The claim to the Torah is founded on the established fact. That what do we have to do? We have to continue in the ways of our forefathers. We have to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of Torah. Hashem says to the nations of the world. You the descendants of Esau. The descendants of Ishmael. Where is your book? of Yichus, where is your history of bravery demonstrating Mesirut Nefesh he says in fact the opposite is true, you received a heritage that denies the authority that denies the validity of Hashem that denies His Torah you want to pursue only Olam Hazer, you emulated the ways of the wicked Esav, he sold his birthright in exchange for some lentil soup from Ishmael, the tendency to frolic with Abu Zarah Immorality and murder. So how do you expect to receive the Torah that demands Mesirut Nefesh in order to retain it? We have a nice allusion to this interpretation from the words Hashem uses to address B'nei Israel at Matan Torah. He says to them, and now if you hearken into me, you will be you Am be Am amsegula am to me. What's an Am Sigula? He says, for all the earth is mine. The Shemish Moor writes you will be a segula, like the symbol of the vowel segol. If you know the Hebrew vowel segol, it's three dots in a triangle. What happens with these three dots? No matter which way you turn it, it's still the three dots in the shape of the triangle. We become the same always, we never change. Based on this discussion, we could suggest that Hashem is hinting to B'nai Yisrael that the prerequisite for receiving the Torah is to be Am Segula, to be like the segol, which is composed of three dots, which represents this three-stranded cord, which represents the Mesirut Nefesh of our forefathers, which represents the fire, water, and the Midbar. The other nations do not possess such a thing. Thus, Rav, Rav Friedman, he looks and he says, we have to comprehend the wisdom of Israel Sofer, on the one hand, he ranged the Torah reading so that parashat Bechukotai would be read before Chag HaShavuot in order that the year should end with its curses. And on the other hand, he put between the curses and Shavuot this week's Perasha, this week's parasha. The world, he says, is judged four junctures based on the Mishnah four times of the year. And he says on Atzeret, on Shavuot, we read there, That who's judged? The fruits of the tree. What does it mean, the fruits of the tree? The Shelah HaKadosh, he says something unbelievable. He says that Shavuot is the day of the judgment relating to Matan Torah. On Shavuot, the Neshamot, the souls of B'nai Israel, are judged. And the souls of B'nai Israel are referred to as Perot Ha'ilan, the fruits of the tree. Because they emerge from Hashem's tree of neshamot, Says that on this day the neshamot are judged and the neshamot are held accountable. Goes further the Shelah and he quotes, he says, A person is obligated to rejoice more than usual on this festival of Shavuot. Because this is the day we were privileged to receive the Torah, the crown of the Torah. In the Gemara Pesachim it says... All authorities concede that on Atzeret we are required Lachem, for you. We have to have a celebration and gratification. We have to thank Hashem who gave us the Torah. A person has to be uplifted and inspired to correct his ways and to be awarded the crown of the Torah to fulfill the directive. Study it day and night. For this holy day is a day of judgment. It's interesting, we're told to stay up all night. There's an aspect of staying up all night on Shavuot of Mesirut Nefesh. We're giving of our life by staying up. The words of the Tolad Yaakov, he says, we should know that Hashem wanted to supervise and evaluate man's deeds on Rosh Hashanah because it's the beginning of the creation. It's the renewal of the world. But he says something very scary. The day of Matan Torah, which is related to the renewal of the world. He wants to supervise and evaluate the merits of the world and judge the fruits of the tree. We explained already what does it mean, fruits of the tree. These are the neshamot from the tree of life. These are the Nishamot that bloom from Hashem's tree. The world is judged on Shavuot with regard to the Torah that was given on Shavuot. And if the people neglect to study properly, that's judgment against them. This is what it means when the when the Gemara is telling us the world is judged on Shavuot with regard to the fruits of the tree. We see in the writings of Rav Baruch of Mezibah that he used to say that he was much, much more afraid of Chag Shavuot, much more than Rosh Hashanah. He says on Rosh Hashanah we're judged for the physical things. He would say a loaf of bread more versus a loaf of bread less. That's what we're judged on Rosh Hashanah. But on Shavuot, we're judged with regard to our spirituality. Did we engage properly in the study of Torah and the fulfillment of the mitzvot? And now we should remember also, there's a special mitzvah that we have when we come to Atzeret, when we come to this holiday of Shavuot. We're supposed to bring two loaves of bread. How does bringing two loaves of bread ensure that the fruit of the tree, the perot ha'ilan, the neshamot of Israel, will be blessed on the day of the judgment of Matan Torah, we could answer this based on the Zohar Kadosh. The Zohar Kadosh says, why is Hashem commanding B'nei Israel to bring these two loaves specifically on Shavuot? Because these two loaves represent one Torah shebichtav, the written Torah, the other represents Torah Shebikhtav. Says that, in quotes from Mishlei, and accordingly we suggest that this is why Hashem commanded us to bring these two loaves. And we bring them as a wave offering in front of Hashem. Because this ritual represents a korban of kippur, of atonement. And this represents complete teshuvah. Why do we have to do complete teshuvah with regard to Torah Shebikhtav and Torah Sheba'apeh on Shavuot? For the time we wasted, for the time that we didn't study the Torah. For the time we didn't dedicate ourselves to the Torah Shebikhtav and the Torah Sheba'apeh. By performing this ritual, we're reminding and accepting upon ourselves, Torah shebiktav, Torah shebaopeh. If we scrutinize the Pesukim in Parshat bechukotai we see a crucial and a daunting principle. All the curses and the Tochachot mentioned in the Torah seem to stem from the fact that we do not labor in the study of Torah. The sin and oversight is the cause of many Averot. We learn from this. If you follow my mitzvot, if you follow my statues, it says, it says, if you follow, if you go in my statues, right? And my mitzvot you will follow. And you do them. I will bring you your rains in their time, etc., etc says the question Rashi says is if you follow my statutes what's the difference between Bechukotai and Mitzvot what is the difference he says what's one versus the other and Rashi explains that one is doing and one is learning one is learning the Torah Rashi intends to interpret the Pasuk based on the Gemara where it says HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a Yetzir Hara in the world he created an evil inclination he created the dark side But in order to overcome the dark side, Hashem created the antidote, and the antidote is the Torah. This is the meaning in bechukotai telechu. You should labor in the study of the Torah, and with the power of the Torah, a person is insured that our rigorous studying will negate the yetzer hara. All of us who are coming tonight to learn Torah. All of us who are taking from our time to sit and try to learn, to learn how to be better people, how to lift up our friend, how to convince ourselves, to push ourselves to learn more, all of us are involved in this mitzvah of learning Torah. All of us are involved in this mitzvah. And then it goes terrible and it says, if you don't listen, if you don't listen again, we have the same thing so the, the Rashi is commenting there if you're not going to learn Torah if you're not going to learn Torah then all of these negative things can happen to us in the study of Torah we're gonna, if, we, if we don't study the Torah we're going to succumb to all the Averot he says to the point where a person Shalom, will even deny the existence of Hashem this process is easy to understand we go stage by stage by stage by stage till we're gone so we learned on this festival we're judged with regard to the fruits of the tree. We're judged basically our nishamot. And if we exert ourselves in the study of the Torah in our attempt to learn, in our attempt to know more, in our attempt to do better, we always have to remember it says, "Lilmod The first step is lilmod to learn, then to teach. l'shmor, to watch, So we have to go step by step by step The rabbis actually bring seven steps that all begin with learning. So we see that the perashav b'midbad, just before Chag HaShavuot, is there to create this interruption between the curses in Bechukotai and Chag HaShavuot. But we learn a beautiful lesson from here. Hashem says, Do you want to be able to overcome the negativity of the curses? Dedicate yourself to the Torah How? Through Messiut nefesh How? Through fire, through water Through midbar A person has to be willing to dedicate himself To the Torah We see precisely that this is the reason That Moshe is commanded Take a census of the entire Bnei Yisrael According to their families According to the father's house What does it mean according to the families According to their father's house Because we have to understand that our Deserving to receive the Torah is based on our Yichus, based on where we come from based on who our fathers were, based on what they did based on their self-sacrifice based on what they taught us and based on what we do to do like they do for this reason Parashat B'Amidban represents this iron curtain it separates the curses of Parashat Bechukotai and Chag Hashivuot. The curses come solely due to Ibn Yisrael's failure to labor in the study of Torah. But Midbar teaches us you want to get there? Follow in the footsteps of your ancestors. They sacrificed themselves, they did it in fire, in water, in the Midbar. If we listen to this beautiful lesson, we're guaranteed that the year will end along with its curses. The year, not the physical just but the spiritual year, a much higher level. We see another place in the Zohar, it says the Mashiach will come Shavuot, because what happens? We actually go step by step until we get this complete and total light, little by little to these 49 days. In addition, Hashem is going to bestow upon us an abundance of new Torah insights, along with the Berachot, associated with the study of the Torah. We say, Orech Yamin, Length of days it has its right, and 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 respect and wealth to the right. So we have these two beautiful messages that we have with this perasha. We have these beautiful messages in these only in these first two pesukim. Seru et rosh, raise up the head. That's the mitzvah ben adam that we all have to go and do. But we have to remember from the end of the mitzvah, of the of the pasuk. That we're counted according to where we come from, according to our genealogy, according to the sacrifice and the self sacrifice that our forefathers made. And we have to make that same commitment to sacrifice for the sake of the Torah. Because this is the time our neshama is being judged. And I think that's the reason we sit there and we stay up that night. We show that we have mesirut nefesh, we're giving of ourselves in order to fight. To fight sleep, to fight to stay up, to fight to be with the Torah, and I think this is really where we have the story where the, the the angel is telling uh, is telling the Maran Bet Yosef that because you group stayed up last night, Hashem was so happy because what are we doing? We're doing it not for our physical, we're doing it for our spiritual, we're doing it for our soul. So Bezrat Hashem, we should do this and we should end the year end this year with its curses, this time of Shavuot. We should begin the year with its blessings. We should celebrate the receiving of the Torah just as we did 3,300 years ago. And we should be like the Yisrael were on Shavuot. We should be able to achieve this level of Adam HaRishon before the sin. We should be able to achieve a level of very high and complete light and we should all be blessed Hashem, with a wonderful, happy, healthy year as we go into